things along announcement lines. Uh, we got eggs and oranges out there. Uh, those are for eating, for throwing. Uh, right? Help, help yourself. Help yourself. Don't forget to take some there for everyone. Uh, take bags of oranges. Those are nice oranges. So, And the eggs are farm fresh. They have not been washed, so you don't have to refrigerate them. You can just take them and leave them out. Okay, so help yourself. I think we're going to end up with one more shipment of eggs before the hens grow them to sellable size and we lose them. So they're small. but they're, Somebody said they found double yokers. Was that you, Dick? Double yokers in those little eggs. Wow, nice. So. All right, so I'm looking around this room, and I'm, I'm seeing at least a half a dozen people that ought to be in prison. Right? John Brent, is that right? At least a half a dozen people that should be in prison because uh, Cairo's Prison Ministry International is doing a, an inreach, that's what we'll call it, inreach ministries, right? An inreach into uh, the prison up at, where is that? Berlin. Oh, so, so there's some opportunities, and, and I guess they've got a lot of ongoing opportunities, uh, Kairos. So, uh, if you've ever thought, gee, I ought to be in prison, I'm going to hand this all over to John Brandt. And because he's already involved with Kairos Prison Ministries, and he could really talk to you well about that. All right, so this will give you uh, something to work with. John, would you take that? So this is John Brent, prison ministry expert. So that's just the info if anyone wants to talk to you about it. Do you want to say something? Go ahead. Thank you. This is, this is definitely... A, the hand of God coming down. The um, I I can no longer go in the prison because I'm now on the adult parole board, but I'm still on the board of directors of New Hampshire, and we go in uh, as a team, both to the the men's and the the women's prisons, and we spend uh, a weekend. This is the way that they get into the Kairos program, and it's a uh, Thursday afternoon, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then half a day Sunday. And the program involves uh, a, a lot of, of the love of Christ, but it also focuses on the idea of forgiveness because so many people are in and they feel so terrible. They can't recover from this. They think that they, they have no, no future. Kairos tells them, you do have a future, you can be forgiven, and you can go on because God wants what you're going to do next. So that's the, what the program is. It's... Uh, I believe it's about an eight-week, once a week, if you're on a team, you meet outside and prepare for, for, for going in, and uh, that's a lot of what it is. And there are also outside programs. We won't get into that because I know Dick has a lot to say, but thank you very much. Just make sure you clean up all those old warrants and stuff before you apply. Because <laughs> uh, they will find out. Great way to get you in there. Oh, yeah, come on. Not that we'll let you out. Anyways, so. So we talked last week about servanthood. Um, this is really interesting to me. So talk about servanthood. My Monday night class, we're talking about the character aspects of leadership or of servanthood. 
On Wednesday night, we started, or just finished uh, three weeks on relationships. So relationship, character, servanthood. And uh, I got to tell you, all of those got tested this week. From Monday right through the week. I mean, now what did he say on that video? How am I supposed to act here? <laughs> it just amazed. I, to the point I said to Martha, so I'm trying to figure out how, how he does this. Does God like set up this scenario and then give you a sermon about it so that you walk into that prepared? Or do, do you, does it give you a sermon so that your heart is open, then he lets you walk into all these situations afterwards? But you know, be careful what you speak. Be careful what you preach because you're going to walk into the stuff, whether it's a fan or <laughs> cow flaps or whatever. You're going to end up in the stuff, right? And this, this week was a really good example of, of servanthood and what it means to be serving. It's not just doing stuff. It's dealing with people. It's relationships. It's character. All of that is involved in servanthood. It's not just projects, okay? So last week we began by talking about giving ourselves to the ministry of divine expression. And, and I think that comes back from probably three or four weeks ago now. Uh, divine expression, the word or logos of God, that is God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And looking at that in context, that is Jesus as a man, Jesus as a man, he was fully man, yet fully God, so at Jesus as fully man, uh, fully human, and tempted, tempted in all ways just as we are, and yet without sin. So what, what are your temptations? What are the things that tempt you? And don't, don't say, oh, I don't have any. All right? Because we'll go to a whole different place. All right? So what, what are the things that tempt you, you know? Jesus was tempted. Your temptation is not sin. And, and that's a real trick of the enemy. You know, you get tempted in a certain area, and all of a sudden, you put yourself under self-condemnation. Oh, I must be so bad, you know, I'm being tempted in this. No, no, that's, Jesus was tempted in all ways, just like us, and yet was without sin. So the, the line is giving into the temptation and doing the thing that you know is wrong, right? The temptation is not the sin, right? So just let that kind of lift off you. If you're caught in that trap, be free in Jesus' name. Just be released from that. In the name of Jesus, right? So we discovered that the divine expression Jesus favored was, in fact, servanthood. Servanthood. That's the way he chose to express himself as a human. Okay? Matthew 20, 28, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve but to serve. So the king of the whole universe, king of kings, lord of lords, we sing it, we talk about it, we express it, that, that Jesus, when he came to be among us, to be like us, he chose to be a servant. Now, he could have booted Caesar off the throne, could have taken over Rome, could have, you know, whatever he chose to do, he's God, you know, he could have done it all, but he chose to come and be a servant. I, I think that says a lot. So we began to look at what a servant might look like in our 
Christian context, and we will pick up there after a quick review of what we covered last week. So just going through bullet points here rather quickly, I'm going to start. First thing we looked at were servants make themselves available. They make themselves available. Second Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay. Second bullet point, servants do every task with equal dedication. Colossians 3.22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Bullet point number three, servants pay attention to needs. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, and let, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And the, the linchpin in that whole thing is as we have opportunity, do you recognize opportunity when it happens? I, I asked the question last week, how many of you pull over to help someone change a tire when you're driving down the road? Okay. Pick up a hitchhiker. Right? I mean, it's opportunity. It's opportunity, right? I'd like to share my opportunity this week, but I'll, I won't. They're too fresh. <laughs> so I've got to process this thing. Servants do their best with what they have. Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the NIV says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Okay? So translated into everyday English in the Living Bible, it says, If you wait for perfect conditions... You will never get anything done, right? Just do what's in front of you. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it as unto the Lord. Do it with a servant's heart. Oh, I'd like to help you out, you know, but I didn't take that class. There you go. All right, so picking up from there, bullet point number five, servants are faithful to their ministry. Servants are faithful to their ministry. Servants finish their tasks, fulfill their responsibilities, keep their promises, and complete their commitments. Anyone go ouch on any of those? Mm -hmm. They don't leave a job half done. They don't quit when they get discouraged. And this is such an important factor because we do get tired. We do get discouraged when we serve as a matter of fact, it is important enough to be addressed several times in the New Testament alone. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing, in doing good. Getting weary in doing good, right? Don't get weary, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. 
Okay? So, so why does he keep saying that? Because we get weary in doing good. Right? It's called burnout sometimes, right? You ever, you ever got to that place? I just can't do another stinking thing, and then the phone rings. First Peter 3.17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And First Peter 4.19, therefore let us, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Not only are you doing good for the Lord and serving the Lord, but he is enabling you to serve him by serving others. Because if you're just doing it for the other person, if you're just doing it for your own sense of importance or whatever, you get your reward in the moment. But if you're doing it for the Lord, enabled by the Lord, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Jesus talks about that, right? So, so you may have noticed that the scriptures address two forms of weariness. The first is the weariness of physical labor, of performing the task, perhaps over and over again and not seeing the fruit of your labors. And I think often about farmers, not corporate farms, but legitimate family farms, and the hard work and hardships they endure in order to produce a crop, and then a single frost, lack of rain, or some bug can wipe it all out in a moment, right? It's the same for us. Weariness can cause our love to grow cold. This, in turn, can cause bitterness, thus preventing the rain of the blessings of the Holy Spirit from watering the crops of our lives and giving access to the bugs and worms of demonic destruction. A servant's heart is on guard against these things. There's where the character of the servant is so important. The second weariness is caused by the suffering we feel when we are rejected, ridiculed, or even attacked by those we are trying to do good for. The prophet Samuel felt the sting of this as King Saul began to depart from the obedience to the mandates of God. Samuel began to grieve to such a degree that the Lord had to speak to him about it. In 1 Samuel 16.1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? You see, servants who are trustworthy and dependable believe that commitment has value and that the ones they invest in are valuable. And when the investment is spurned, the servant's heart feels it deeply, and at times the weight of that can become debilitating. Many people today don't realize the value and power of true commitment. I think Paulette struck on this that I'm about to tell you just a few minutes ago. Let's look at the divorce rate in America according to marriage101.com. The divorce rate in America is just over 50%. Okay, so everyone go, ah, oh, ah, oh, right? So guess what? It's the same in the church. In the Christian... 
Thank you for that. Yeah, let's give another ah. Because <laughs> that's terrible. That's terrible. You know, where's the commitment? It appears that these days, commitments are often too lightly made. People make commitments casually, then break them for the slightest reason without any hesitation or regret. Every week, churches and other organizations must improvise because volunteers didn't prepare, didn't show up, or didn't even call to say they weren't coming. Ask yourself this question. Can I be counted on by others? I, I like, you know, in, in old, older movies, um, or movies about older times, there's this dynamic that always takes place between, probably like uh, Game of Thrones. You ever see Game Any You've watched that? I watched some episodes on YouTube. They're pretty interesting. But, you know, two, two high-ranking kings or princes or whatever, you're trying to avoid a major battle. And they've been at odds for a long time. And they, they cut a deal, and one puts his hand out, and he said, well, why should I trust you? He says, because my word is my bond. My word is my bond. Can you say that? <laughs> you can all say it, right? Can you mean it? Is that the truth about you? If you say it, does it stick? My word is my bond. If I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. I'm, going to, I'm not going to be there on time because being on time is late. Yeah, yeah some of you know me. <laughs> being on time is late because my word is my bond. You can count on me. You can depend on me. Okay. This trend is so common that Barna Research, who does all this research on church growth and stuff and statistics, uh, they came up with a new class of casual church attendance. They're called two-by-fours. Two-by-fours. So if everybody showed up here on a Sunday... There'd be about 160 people in this room. We haven't had 160 people in this room for two years. But about every other week, we have an influx where the people who weren't here on week one will show up on week two, and the people who are going to be missing on week three decide to do week two instead of week three, See, people are doing two-by-fours, two weeks out of every month, rather than making a weekly commitment. That has become a trend only in America. Right? Two-by-fours. It's not good. It's not good. It's the breakdown of the value of commitment. It's an indicator that something is amiss. Okay? Uh, there are promises I need to keep or commitments I need to honor. This is a test. God is testing your faithfulness. Small things are important. Being faithful in them is important. 
Maybe you only really enjoy a portion of what you find yourself doing. Still, be faithful in all that you do. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Daniel, Timothy, and Paul were all called faithful servants of God. Faithful servants of God. That is not a small designation. If you pass the test, you're in good company. Your reward is in eternity. Imagine God saying this to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Bullet point number six, servants maintain a low profile. Servants don't promote or call attention to themselves. Instead of acting to impress and dressing for success, which the world tells you you need to do, they put on the apron of humility to serve one another, according to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. If recognized for their service, they humbly accept it, but don't allow the recognition to distract them from their work. Eye service is serving in order to impress people with how spiritual we are. This was one of the sins of the Pharisees. They turned helping others, giving, and even prayer into a performance so that others would think that they were special. Now, everybody likes to feel special, right? right? But in some things, it's better not to be. Because in what we do, in where we serve, there's only one special one. Jesus hated this attitude and warned in Matthew 6, 1, when you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. Because the accolades become the reward that you get. Self-promotion and servanthood don't mix. Real servants don't serve for the approval or applause of others. They live for an audience of one. Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a huge statement. If I was still trying to serve man or please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, if you get your strokes, personal strokes, your worth or your value, by the act of serving another person, looking for their approval, then you're not serving Christ. You're not a servant of Christ. That should not be the compulsion. Real servants are content with quietly serving in the shadows. Joseph is a great example. He didn't draw attention to himself, but in Egypt quietly served Potiphar, then his jailer, then Pharaoh's baker and wine taster, and God blessed his attitude, 
he became second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. Many leaders today start off as servants but end up as celebrities. Even pastors starting off with a servant's heart can go through a change and end up losing that heart. If you are serving in obscurity in some small place, feeling unknown and unappreciated, remember, God knows who you are and what you do for him. You are where you are for a purpose. He has every hair on your head numbered. And he, when he gets tired of counting them, Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I know he's been paying attention to me. Right? Because they're mostly gone now. He knows what you do. In heaven, God is going to openly reward some of his most obscure and unknown servants. People we never heard of on earth who taught emotionally disturbed children nursed aid patients, and served in thousands of other unnoticed ways. They are real heroes. Back in uh, 1970 through 73, I was involved in a martial arts school down in Sharon, Massachusetts, and my sparring and training partner was a state trooper, John Ebert. And uh, this guy was massive. I mean... If, if you thought of a Massachusetts state trooper, the image you have, John would fit it to a T. I mean, he was big, he was muscular, deep voice, but he was a big teddy bear, really. We got along really great. And um, so he, he had some, as a lot of police do, marital problems, ended up being divorced, losing his kids, um, quit the force in 19... Probably 75, 76, he quit the state police and disappeared. Just vanished from the scene. 20 years later, I got a call from John. And uh, he, had, he had gotten my number from Macau in uh, Israel. And, he, John, where are you? What have you been doing, man? It's been a long time, you know. He says, I'm over here in Calcutta. He says, what are you doing in Calcutta? He says, I'm burying the dead. I said, what? He says, yeah, I came over here uh, just trying to find myself and ran into uh, Mother Teresa. And he said, uh, I asked her, Yo, what do you need? How can I help? He says, I need a big strapping guy to bury the dead. For nine years, he buried the dead. Wow. You know, wow. In obscurity, there's a servant's heart, you know? So I want to give you, uh, and, and I, I love this, um, this tool, a very practical application tool for this series on having a servant's heart. Seven words that will open up opportunities for you to serve and for heaven to break in on any situation you, 
you may be confronting. So, I, so I'll, I'll give you one of my little run-ins this week. Um, you know, our big parking lot out there, right? I think we got the smallest parking lot in New Hampshire. So anyways, there, there are a series of people around here for whatever reason can't park um, where they live. And so I, I come in 5, 5.30 in the morning, and there'll be three or four cars parked nose into the fence. And uh, some of them I, I know, they've asked for permission. Some I, I have no clue who they are. And so last Monday, uh, there were four cars out there. I only recognized one of them. So I made up little little cards for their windshield. And so, you know, snowstorm coming in tonight. Um, Please don't park here because I plow at 5.30. Thought that was a good request. So I put them on the windshields, and I go to go to one, one of the cars. I notice it's running, and the back window is down, and someone is <laughs> sleeping out there, right? So I don't put one on their car. I don't want to wake them up, you know. And uh, I come in, and car disappears for the day. But then about 3 o'clock, that car comes back. And I go out, so I thought, well, I better tell them, you know, don't park here overnight because I'm plowing. And I go out there, and it's a young woman. She's probably mid-20s. And I said, hey, how you doing? I said, I no noticed you were out here sleeping this morning. And she laughs. She's got big glass on. She laughs, and she said, I wasn't really sleeping. She said, I dropped a friend off at the house over here, and I was ready to pull out and go home, and I... Just conked out, out cold. And I said, oh, okay. So I told her about the uh, storm coming in. Please don't park here. Anyways, and uh, what's your name? So she told me her name. And I said, so, so listen, uh, this, this is what I want to give you. Can I pray for you right now? Is there something you need prayer for? And she kind of went like this, hmm. I mean, she really thought about it. And she says, you know, my whole life, can you just pray for my life? It's really a mess. I'm thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I did, you know, I, I had a chance. I, I held her hand, prayed for her, you know. Two days later, Windows open, the car's running. She's <laughs> out there again, you know. But now I know her by name. I can talk to her. I'm going to win her for Christ. You know, that's, that's a mission. I'm going to win her for Christ. Because she asked me to pray for her whole life. See, and that's the opportunity I have to recognize. She opened the door. But I ask the question, can I pray for you right now? Everyone say that. Can I pray for you right now? It's miracle working. Listen, keep that as your own. Write it on a piece of paper. Have it tattooed on your arm or something. You know? what was I supposed to say? Don't lose it. Don't lose it. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not dead works. It will bear fruit. Do you want to give honor and joy to the Lord by serving those he died for? Ask God to give you a servant's heart. Ask him to break down your pride and to keep a check on your life so that you have simplicity before him. Despite all of the world's honor, do what God has called you to do. Humble yourself before him. Do it all for his praise, not for the praise of others. I saw a, a quote yesterday on uh, Facebook, and I, I saved it to myself. Um, it says this, leader, the word leader, is mentioned only six times in the King James Version of the Bible, the whole Bible, six times leader. Servant is mentioned 900 times. Then it asks the question, so why are we having so many leadership conferences? Wow. <laughs> Yo, I just came back from one. <laughs> Ooh, boy. So would you be willing this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to bestow a servant's heart in you? To remove anything that might be hindering you from serving and loving as Jesus desires you to. I want to listen to this wonderful promise from God and then we're going to pray together. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 through 28. Why don't you stand for this? Why don't you stand for this? Because this, this is a good word. This is a really good word. If you want, you can, you can assume the posture. You can open up your heart. I don't know what God will do. It's his word. And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Wow. That's a good word. That's a good word. So, Father, we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Fulfill in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, the promise you spoke through Ezekiel. Give us new hearts today. Give us the heart of Jesus, the servant's heart of Jesus today. Remove any stoniness, any stubbornness, any pride, oh God, any self-exaltation about who we are in Christ, oh God. Remove that from a heart and, O oh God, infuse us, infill us, enable us, O oh God, with the servant's heart of Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, this is the new and everlasting covenant that you promised. 
that you'd give us a new heart and a new spirit. So would you come today and do that, oh God, for each one who desires to serve you as Christ served you, Father. Pour out this promise. We're waiting on you, Holy Spirit.